1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I work harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was or they, so we preach and so you believe this. This, my friends, is the gospel, or God's word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are just so grateful to be here this morning. We're so grateful of just the boldness and the purity of the gospel message. And Lord, I'm just so thankful that we could read your word and just understand your word and know your word. This morning, I pray for our brother Brian as he brings your word to us and that he helps explain it to us, Lord. And I just pray that we will receive it in our hearts and use it in our lives as we go out of here. Lord, I thank you for all these, and I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Good to see you all today. Thank you for joining us this morning. It's a great, uh, great day. I love the songs we sang this morning. Of course, I picked them out, so... Um, so wonderful blessing, especially to say that last song, you know, I in my Savior am happy and blessed. It's not based upon our circumstances or what's going on around us, but in Him, oh, to be lost in His love, as the hymn writer writes there. Um, you know, sometimes we think lost in God's love is that we somehow are hidden away like a hermit and just know the love of God, but lost in God's love is the opportunity to put ourselves kind of aside and experience both the love of God, but allow that to flow out in love towards others. Oh, to be lost in his love where my desires, my selfishness and everything is set aside and his desires are outpouring in my life. Um, I, would, I hope that would be the case for us. Uh, this morning we are continuing in our study entitled Loving God's Church from 1 Corinthians. And uh, today we are looking at pursuing love that preaches the true gospel. And Paul's goal really in this whole section in, verse 5, in chapter 15 is summed up at the end in verse 58. He writes there in verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is his desire and this is his goal throughout this whole section. And we're going to take a few weeks here to preach through chapter 15. But that's where he wants them to get. And really, that's, that's just another way of him saying what he says at the beginning of chapter 13, 14, which is pursue love. 
Be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, which is to demonstrate love to one another. And so that's our hope as we go through chapter 15, as we talk about the gospel and the resurrection and the victory that Christ gives us over the dead. That is all meant not to just encourage us in and of ourselves, but to then pursue love within the context that he has placed us. Pursue love in the church and pursue love in the home and pursue love in the relationships that he's given to us, whether at work or neighbors or whatever. We are meant to pursue love together. And I hope that will be our goal. Would you join me as we go to God in prayer this morning and ask for his help and also pray for some of our brothers and sisters who are meeting today, both near and far. Father, we thank you so much for uh, the words of your, that you've given us, specifically of the gospel that you've given us, that we might know your love, and in turn, through that, we might show your love. So Lord, help us today as we look into your word. Give us eyes to see the glorious and good truths that you have for us today. Lord, may we, may we eat of, of this word And may we be full from it so that we might go throughout our day and through our week energized uh, to live for you. Lord, may we use up all that we have learned and come back hungry again for your word. May it be sustaining to us, to the life that you've called us to. Lord, we do pray for uh, those farther away, we pray for Pastor Ryan McCammick and the pastors there at Gospel Hope there in Atlanta as they meet today. Lord, give them grace so that they, as they gather, they might grow and give out the gospel faithfully for your glory. Lord, we pray for Errol McFadden and, and Manuka Bible Church and the pastors there, Lord, as they gather, that they might grow and give out the gospel faithfully so that you might be glorified. Lord, may we see your gospel continue to go forth. Lord, we thank you that you have called us to be a church, but we are thankful that we are not the only church. That you have a universal church that faithfully proclaims your word, and we are so thankful for that. May we unite with them today in preaching your word faithfully. Lord, give grace to me as I speak, and grace to those who hear. In Jesus' name, amen. As Paul's desire is to achieve this goal that the Corinthians would continue to pursue love and be steadfast and immovable and always abounding in God's work, Paul needs to address an issue in the church at Corinth regarding the resurrection of the dead. To start, Paul first stresses the foundation for that resurrection, which we see in our section here is the gospel. The gospel is the foundation of the resurrection of any of us. And ultimately, within the gospel, specifically, the foundation of our resurrection is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So this morning, my main point is this. Pursuing love means you receive and respond to the gospel. You receive and respond to the gospel. And as we understand the gospel, we'll begin to be able to go through the rest of of 1 Corinthians and able to understand what it means, the resurrection of the dead, what it means to have victory over sin and over death. So this morning I have four questions I really want to look at. The first one is, what is the gospel we are meant to receive? 
And then the second three have to deal with our response. So to start off, what is the gospel we are meant to receive? And as I ask that question, we have to understand that not all gospels are the same. Not all gospels proclaim the same thing. Many people declare that they are they are presenting, they are preaching, they are proclaiming the gospel. But the question is, what truly is the gospel? In fact, Paul, when he's writing to the Galatians, says this is a problem. He says there, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. For as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. This is Paul telling us that there are distortions to the gospel. There are alternative Gospels that people are presenting that distort the one true Gospel, and we are meant to receive the one true Gospel based in God's Word that God Himself has declared to us. In a sense, we have to understand that the Gospel is not something that mankind has created. Rather, it's something God has given. Therefore, it's not something that we create or make. It's something that we receive. It is something that we have to embrace and accept. And what is the gospel as Paul proclaims it here to us, given to him by God? And notice verse 3, and I'll highlight this more in a minute, but for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. It's not an invention of Paul. And what is it that he's received? That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture. That he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. That he appeared to Cephas and to the twelve and then appeared to more than 500 at once. And most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. The first thing that we could often skip over when looking at what the gospel is, is Christ. He starts with Christ. Here is the gospel I received that Christ. Christ is the Son of God. The second person of the Trinity. The Christ is a title that means anointed or chosen one. This is the King that God has always promised. He is the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundations of the world. The one who was, who, who was part of this redemptive plan before God even created. He existed with God as part of the Godhead. He has existed for all eternity. He is the creator of the world. We're told that he, he has taken part in the creation. We're told in Revelation He is the beginning and the end. We're told in Acts 4 that Jesus is the stone that was rejected by the builders who has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. In 1 Corinthians 3, earlier, we looked at this last year as we were preaching through 1 Corinthians. Paul wrote, For no one can lay a foundation 
other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Start, the gospel starts with Jesus Christ. At the very center of the gospel is Jesus Christ. And if we get Jesus Christ wrong, we get the gospel wrong. He is the Son of God. He is 100% God and 100% man, taking on human flesh, becoming humanity so that he might die for us, which is the second part of the gospel that he presents here. It is the Christ who died for our sins. It is the Son of God who takes on humanity, who takes the name Jesus, becomes a man to be our substitute and die for the world. Jesus really and fully here paid the penalty for sin in our place. That's what Paul is intending here. He died for our sins. That's why he died. That's the only reason he died. was for our sins so that he might be the substitute. It's what John the Baptist said when he looked upon Jesus for the first time and he tells his disciples, there is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. What is he referring to? He's referring back to the Old Testament where God had instituted a means by which the people's sins might be paid for, might be covered until the true one would come and would completely pay for them. And they would sacrifice lambs. They would take the life of another and that blood would cover their sins. But ultimately it was a picture as John the Baptist declares for us of the one who is to come, Jesus Christ, who would take the place take our sins he is the substitute for us not only that we're told here that he was buried and what paul is just getting at is jesus was truly dead he was truly dead he wasn't faking he wasn't swooning he was dead and if the cross hadn't killed him which the bible tells us it did the process of burial would definitely have killed him. He was dead. There was no doubt in anyone's mind who buried him that Jesus was dead. In fact, all of his followers go away sad because the one they had followed had died. But then we read this, that he was raised on the third day. Jesus came back to life to show his power over sin and over death. What we understand from Genesis itself, from the very first sin, that the result of sin would be death. And that's what happens. Sin's result, the wages of sin, Paul writes in Romans, is death. Death is a result of sin. That's why it exists. So when Jesus dies, he dies for sin. He takes our death. Jesus does not say, stay dead. He shows his victory over death, and in doing so, he shows his victory over sin. That which would cause death could not hold Jesus down. It could not. He rises again. And so Jesus declares in his resurrection that he has defeated sin and therefore death has no power over him. And as we will see as we work through Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, if you stay with me a couple more weeks, we will see that we too have victory over death because of Christ. 
Not only does it say he was raised, but that he appeared. We see that in verse 5. He appeared to Cephas. He appeared to the 500. He appeared to James. He appeared to others. He appeared to Paul. This appearance that Jesus truly was raised to life. That, that the amount of people that see him here, this historical reality that Jesus had risen again, and that these people, and Paul goes on to even say that some of whom were still alive at the time Paul was writing. You can check me on this, Paul's saying. This is true. This happened. Jesus did come to life, and it's meant to give us confidence by seeing the different groups of people that Jesus displayed himself to at different times. We're able to see the confidence that we can have in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then lastly, I think the important phrase in accordance with the Scripture is part and parcel here to what's important to Paul in the Gospel. That Jesus fulfills all the Old Testament prophecies predicted centuries and millennia before he was a man on earth. That his death was a death that had been prophesied. That his resurrection was, uh, was something that had been prophesied. He was fulfilling that which had already been promised. That is amazing. That he appeared and so we have confidence, but also that all that he was doing was something that had been promised thousands of years before. Gives us confidence that Jesus is the Christ, the promised one, the anointed one. That our trust is meant to be in him and him alone. He is our hope. He is the center of the gospel. So we see here the gospel that is meant to be received. That's an interesting gospel. It's a gospel that we're told is a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Greeks. That as people look at that, they say, you, you believe in someone who died and rose again? How many people do you know that's risen again? Just one. <laughs> For those that Jesus rose from his power like Lazarus rose, but there's only one that has the power that Jesus has. We are trusting in something that is supernatural, that is given to us by God. This is not a story that men could make up. In fact, men who make up stories think we're crazy to believe such a thing. It's not made up. It's given to us by God, and we are called upon to receive it. As the great writer Rich Mullen says, did not make it, no, it is making me, which he quoted as an older guy, but did not make it, it is making me. It is meant to be something I receive, and as I receive it, it is meant to change me, which is the next three questions. The first question is this, how did the earliest believers respond to the gospel? How did the earliest believers respond to the gospel? We see this uh, in uh, verse 3. Paul himself being a representative of the earliest of believers and uh, the the last of the apostles. What did he do? It says in verse 3, I'm delivering to you the gospel which I also received. It wasn't something I made up. The, The apostles did not make up the gospel. It was not theirs to make. Rather, they received it. 
It was that receive there is to accept it, to embrace it, to, to, to make it your own, but not as having created it, but having it given to you and now accepting it. Their past response of embracing the gospel when it was preached to them is, a, is, a, is an example to us of how we are meant to respond to the gospel as well. They accepted this gospel willingly and enthusiastically, but not just intellectually. I mean, as you begin to think about the Apostle Paul, what happens? He is a persecutor of the church, as he says here. The last of all, one that doesn't even seem to be worthy to be called an apostle, a persecutor of the church. And yet Jesus appears to him on the road to Damascus, saying, why have you persecuted me, Paul? And Paul is converted. You say, oh yeah, Paul received the gospel and just went back to living the way he was, right? No, not at all. Paul radically changed. In fact, he goes to Jerusalem and, and those in Jerusalem are scared of him. They're like, uh, you're that guy <laughs> who was throwing us in jail and uh, all that other stuff. You know, you're okay with us dying uh, because you thought we were heretics and hypocrites and all these other things against Judaism. But now, but now Paul's different. Paul is preaching the gospel. And Paul endures immense persecution for the preaching of the gospel, which is what is his response to this gospel having received, is they preach it. The earliest believers that received the gospel preached the gospel. What do we read here? I delivered to you. Paul presented the gospel to the Corinthians. I've received it, and so I have given it to you, and here's the gospel I've given to you. But not only that, we read in verse 11, whether then it was I or they, and that they includes at least the other 12 apostles, but Paul could also have in mind the 500 brothers and James, who is Jesus' brother. He could have them in mind as well. I think that better fits the context of what's going on here. Whether it was I or they, those early believers who saw Jesus in the flesh after his resurrection, in his resurrected body, they saw him and what did they do? They preached the gospel. They received it and they preached it. Whether it's I or they, so we preach and so you believe. Those early believers who received the gospel, therefore, preached the gospel. They declared the gospel. They delivered it to others. Next question, though, was how had the Corinthian church responded to the gospel? How had the Corinthian church responded to the gospel? We see this in verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received. Just, not just the earliest of believers that responded to the gospel by receiving it, but the Corinthian church now hearing the, the eyewitness testimony. You know, this is, they didn't see the resurrected Christ, but they're hearing the resurrected Christ preached. And how did they respond? They received it. They heard it from Paul specifically. 
but they could have heard it from all these other people as well who, who visually saw Christ manifested in front of themselves, the gospel itself living out in front of them as the resurrected Jesus stood before their eyes. And now those people go as eyewitnesses to proclaim that very gospel to the Corinthians. And the Corinthians, upon hearing that gospel preached to them by Paul, they receive it. They accept it, just like the earlier believers. They embrace it. They willingly and enthusiastically make it a part of their lives. It's not just an intellectual assent to the gospel, but an embracing of it as their sole hope for life. Not only that, we see in verse 2, it is by which, or verse 1 still, in which you stand. It is their standing. The idea of standing here is to firmly remain in something. They were firmly remaining in the gospel. This is their present embracing of the gospel. In the past, they heard it preached and they embraced it. They received it. But in the present, they continue to remain in it. They continue to stand in it. The gospel is their identity. And they have incorporated it into their everyday life. It's where they are standing right then. Your life was clearly and firmly planted in the gospel. It's similar to the way Paul writes to the Philippian church in Philippians 1.27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. A life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ is a life standing firm in the gospel. And so currently, Paul says of you that you are standing in it, an active standing in the gospel. But not only that, it says, he says here in verse 2, and by which you are being saved. They would be saved by the gospel. This is their eternal deliverance. This is their future salvation based upon the gospel they received. Their response to the gospel is is having received it, they are currently standing in it, but their hope is that their salvation will be realized one day in the future in glory. Which is a good thing. Because I don't know about you, but I wouldn't describe life right now as glory. It's a hard life. Difficult things, things that hurt us, things that break us happen in this life. Things that bring us sorrow and pain. Even things we know that are good things often come with a bit of loss and a bit of of tears and sorrow and pain. And yet, what do we know? What do we know is that our future those of us who have in the past received the gospel preached to us, who are currently standing within the, gospel, within the gospel, there's this future that awaits us of glory. It is the gospel that is saving us. And one day, we will experience the fullness of that glory. One day. And then, fourthly, he says this, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. 
They needed to hold fast to the gospel. This is a conditional indicative verb, in case you wondered. important part of it is conditional. It is a conditional statement here. To continue to believe is the idea with the implication of acting in accordance with such belief. I, I had a seminary friend um, way back when I went to seminary and uh, in like 2010. Maybe you remember that time. I was like a zombie. Um, all the studying and lack of sleep. But uh, I had a friend at the time and uh, we, would, we would study three different passages and we would study these ideas like this, this idea of holding fast, this idea of continuing to believe. And he would smile. And he was actually from Brazil. And so he would smile at us and say, don't stop believing. <laughs> Maybe you, some song comes to mind, I don't know, but for you, it did for all of us. We would laugh, but we all cherished. Every once in a while, he'd send an email, brothers, don't stop believing. That's right. We're meant to hold fast, to continue to believe and to practice is one of the definitions that are given for this word, to continue to believe and practice, to continue to follow. And that's what the call is here. Holding fast to the word, to the gospel, means you don't stop believing. Why? Paul says, unless you believe in vain. There's a way to believe that is vanity, that is worthless. The idea here is that your claim to believe was not real. People who truly believe don't stop believing. But we know from Jesus Himself that not everyone who claims to believe truly does believe. Luke 8, Jesus tells of the parable of the four soils. That the Gospel is rained out on these soils as the seed. And one soil is the path and it's hard to the Gospel. It doesn't accept the Gospel at all. And the birds come and take that seeds, those seeds away. It doesn't, it, it doesn't want anything to do with the gospel. It's a hard heart. But then there are two, two soils that are described. One's the rocky soil and one's the thorny soil. And in both those cases, the gospel seems to take root in someone's life. And yet, what do we find in both those cases? Whether it's the sun that comes out, persecution comes, hardship comes, and they... And that plant dissolves into nothing. Or the thorns grow up around it and choke it out. And it becomes nothing at all. We see in, in Jesus' parable there that there are some who seem to believe and yet ultimately demonstrate that they don't. Why? Because they stop believing. They aren't holding fast. And then Jesus prescribes the last soil, the good soil that takes the seed, that believes the gospel, that it takes root in their life and it changes them. And the fruit that's produced is 100-fold, he says. 100-fold. Gospel in our life produces fruit. I think that's what Paul is saying when he says this. I'm the least of the apostles, verse 9. I persecuted the church, verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. What is he? He is the apostle to the Gentiles. We have record of him declaring the gospel to more people than any of the other apostles. Now, they probably proclaim the gospel to quite a few people as well, but I'm just saying the record that we have 
is that Paul proclaims the gospel to all these people. He plants all these churches. And how is that possible? The grace of God at work in him. He received the gospel. He's standing in the gospel. He's trusting in the gospel for his future hope. And he holds fast to the gospel continually, continually through persecution and persecution, through trouble and strife. He continues to hold fast the gospel and preaches that gospel to others. And so, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Oh, that we would all see that kind of conversion in ourselves. The radicalness that Paul had for the proclamation of the gospel would be the radicalness that we have because the grace of God is at work in us. And his grace toward Paul, clearly evident, was not in vain. I don't think it's, I don't think it's just happenstance that he uses the same word here that he used earlier. Is this grace of God towards Paul that he is held fast, that shows that it was not in vain. And if you would hold fast too, he tells the Corinthians, it will not be in vain for you either. In fact, he describes what I would say is what he has in mind by the words hold fast when he says, on the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Our holding fast is work. And it can be hard work. The world is not kind towards people who hold to God's truth. Satan is not kind to people who hold to God's truth. In fact, our own human sinful nature is not kind towards those who hold to God's truth. Paul himself worked harder, but what does he say? Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. It is the gospel work that transformed Paul, that enabled him to work hard. It is the gospel work that the Corinthians have received and are standing in and and are are their hope for the future that allows them to hold fast. He's not describing here someone who loses their salvation. He's describing someone here who was never saved to begin with, who never truly believed rightly. In fact, I think it's similar to what James writes when he says that the demons believe in truth as well and shudder, what do we know? They are able to intellectually have an assent towards something that is true, and yet it does not save them. Our belief, our belief must be more than that intellectual assent. Lest we believe in vain, we must hold fast our life is given to this. You know, that the, whole, the saying, you know, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Have you ever, you with chickens, you, know, uh, you lose the basket. Uh, oh no, there they go. No breakfast today. <laughs> yeah, the saying though, when it comes to Christianity, when it comes to believing the gospel, we are all in. All in. So he's saying, We believe this and this encompasses us. And so we hold fast to the word that is preached to us faithfully, this gospel that is given to us by God himself. So holding fast to the word means you don't stop believing. But also holding fast to the words mean little changes to the gospel matter. 
if you change the gospel, if you change what you believe in, which would mean then you no longer have the true biblical gospel, but a different God and a different Jesus. Christ must be the Christ of the Bible. Therefore, I can say that those who adhere to a a theology of Jehovah's Witness aren't holding to the gospel. Why? Because the gospel tells us that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, who has always existed with God. If we change that, we do not have the gospel. Christ must be the Christ of the Bible, or you do not have the gospel. Died must be real death. And for sin must be a real payment, or you do not have the gospel. If Jesus did not pay for all your sins, then you have no hope. Even your sin of unbelief. Buried must mean a dead Christ was put into a tomb. And he was really put into a tomb. A real Christ was put into a real tomb because he was really dead. So what we're saying here, and raised must mean a dead Christ, a really dead Christ, a really dead Christ that was put in a real, real tomb, came back to life truly, really, historically. That's what it means. Appeared must be that the resurrection of Christ and that the resurrected Christ appeared. He was present with these people. They didn't just see an imaginary thing, but the real resurrected Christ was in front of them. If you change these things, you change the gospel. Holding fast to the word that was preached to us, to, to us as, as Paul is preaching to the Corinthians, what he intends for them is that they would hold to the gospel, that they wouldn't tweak it. They went, well, this is more comfortable for me. This will be more palatable. I mean, how many people know of risen people? I mean, there's not a lot of that. So maybe they won't accept it. So maybe I'll just leave the resurrection out and just talk about the fact that Jesus died for the sin. I mean, they understand they need someone to save them. The resurrection thing, eh, might not get... No, you can't leave it out. To leave it out is to change the gospel. You cannot. You must hold fast to the word was preached to you. Which in turn, I kind of overflowed into this last question, but how should we respond to the gospel then? See how the early church, our early believers responded. We see how the Corinthians responded. How should we respond to the gospel? First of all, if you have not yet received the gospel, receive it now. You've heard the gospel here. We've read it. We've explained it. And we'd be glad to explain it more if you want to talk to us afterwards. But now is the time for salvation. Receive it. Embrace it. It is more than just saying, well, I know that to be true. Again, as we said before, the demons know a lot of truth. That doesn't save them. No, this has to be who you embrace. You embrace Jesus and all that he is in the gospel and all that it is. Secondly, if you've received the gospel, then know your present and future hope. The gospel is what you stand in right now. It is your identity meant to be. It is meant to be incorporated into all of your life. 
It's funny, we talk about the gospel here and we say it's not just something we preach to unbelievers. We do. They need to hear it. But it's something we also proclaim to believers as well. We need to stand in it. It needs to be our identity above everything else. You're a follower of Christ before anything else, if you are a follower of Christ. This is your identity. It's incorporated into everything you do. You live on this planet now to serve Him. The gospel gives you all your direction and purpose in life. In Christ we have died, and therefore now in Christ we live. His death has become our death. His life has become our life. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live. But Christ who lives in me. This is our identity. This is our direction in life. This gives us our purpose, our hope, as well is bound up in this because the gospel is your future hope. Success in this life is not your future hope. It's not the future hope of your kids. What if you could give your kids the whole world? Yet they lost their soul. Jesus says, what benefit is it? What benefit? Our hope is that we are being saved by the gospel. And it's not just our hope, it's the hope of all that we know, all that we love. Three, if you have received the gospel, then hold fast to the gospel. Don't stop believing and don't stop practicing it. Continue to follow the gospel. Be that good soil that holds fast and bears fruit. The good soil bears fruit. That's what it does. That that is actually the main distinction between the good soil and all the other soils. You say, well... You know, the good soil, it takes root. Well, yeah, but it took root in the rocks and the thorn as well. What's the difference, though? The good soil bore fruit. The grace of God will not exist in you in vain, Paul says. It will produce fruit. So hold fast. Continue to believe and practice what you say you believe. And then lastly, if you've received the gospel, then Preach the gospel. Declare the gospel. Deliver the gospel to other people. That's what we see is the response here. That as, as, as the earliest of believers received the gospel, what was their heart's desire? It was to preach the gospel. It was to declare it. This is pursuing love to those around you. Is declaring the gospel to them. Both to believers, remember I said believers need to hear the gospel because their life needs to be surrounded by it, encompassed by it, identified in it. Preaching the gospel to believers is important to show your love to them. And then preaching the gospel to unbelievers, obviously because their, their, their destiny without believing in the gospel is hell. And we don't want that. We wouldn't want that for anyone. So our call is to preach that gospel. Oh, may we do this. May we take Paul's admonition here to heart. Let us pray.
Father, we thank you so much for the gospel truth that is presented here, but not just the truths of it, but how we should live in light of it. Lord, may, may we not miss that. May we not just people who have a head knowledge of what is true, but yet it has not reached our heart. Because why we need that head knowledge, what is your call to us? To love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. It must go beyond the intellect, and it must transform our lives, Lord. Let this gospel transform us. Let it change us. Let this be evident in us so that we may declare with Paul that by your grace, we are now what we are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.